Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 9, Something Ricked This Way Comes. Here's Aaron with the recap. Morty asks his father, Jerry, to help him with the science fair project to boost his dad's intellectual self-esteem. Jerry takes that inch of intellectual self-respect and runs a mile with it, turning a solar system model into a referendum on the scientific consensus that Pluto is not a planet. This draws the attention of the inhabitants of Pluto, who have political and economic interest in Pluto retaining its planetary status. Jerry eventually has to choose between the fawning adoration of the rich and well-connected Plutonians or telling the truth about the ecological damage these types are doing to their planet. Uh, I mean dwarf planet. Meanwhile, Summer has taken a job with the devil, who runs a creepy pawn shop selling cursed items to desperate and lonely people. Rick blows up his satanic spot by offering to scientifically remove the curses from the free artifacts the devil's giving away while retaining their beneficial supernatural qualities. This angers Summer, who sees the devil as a struggling small business owner who has given her a shot at starting her career. Things come to a head when the devil can't help himself and screws Summer out of a share of the lucrative business they've built with her assistance, which leads to Rick and his granddaughters teaming up to make the devil pay his due. So, Jim, what'd you think of this cursed episode of Rick and Morty? Uh, I liked it. After an episode that was sort of just a catch-your-breath episode uh, in the season of Rick and Morty, this comes back hard and fast. Uh, that's I don't know why. Turbulent juice is coming. Maybe the turbulent juice is still in my head. I just watched it yesterday. So yeah, it's it's still, I'm I'm bathed in turbulent juice. Uh, I I really like the the parallel sort of structure of this episode. Um, I think A and B with Jerry and Summer kind of have similar themes to them, even though they're seemingly totally different stories. But like this idea, they're, they're both kind of tools in their own way, which I really appreciated through, throughout the course of this episode. And I thought, you know, it's, it's a, it's really funny, but B, I think there's a lot to think about in there. If you are a citizen of the modern world and you are, if you're listening to this, how about Uh, you? Yeah. I like this episode a lot. I like the, I, I just, this devil plot's so fun. Alfred Molina is so good at playing the devil and, you know, it's just fun to see him, say I'm the devil bitch and hop on on a counter and do a little like fiddle jig. <laughs> uh, I, there's a lot of like kind of drive by things that uh, uh, this episode takes on in addition to kind of like cl- climate change. Uh, and then you've got the, the, the cotton candy plot, which is Rick screwing over the devil. Uh, you've got just like a side detour on the R word and you know how mm. we feel about the, you know, planet being retconned um but uh i i really like it there's the the this this reversal it it felt really right to see rick take on the supernatural evil force um because i rick is almost a borderline supernatural evil force so it's almost like seeing like godzilla take on you know mecha godzilla sure it's like it's a fair fight and it's it's fun to see uh, it's fun to see the right people get hurt every once in a while mm-hmm. and, and you know it's just the same way it's like it's fun to see batman beat up and brutalize criminals because you don't have to worry about batman beating up the wrong guy because he's the world's greatest detective and he's got all that shit worked out don't worry about if batman's it. beating you up you did something wrong yeah for sure. yeah yeah and he's not gonna kill you yeah 
Yeah. You might be crippled depending on, you know, how grim dark Batman's being being written at the time. But, you <laughs> you know, you, you probably deserved it and you're going to get a proportional beating to your crime. Uh, and, and that's kind of what the devil gets. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the extended sequence, it's what uh, uh, Nazis, bullies, uh, people to abuse pets and people who uh, persecute uh, gays get as well. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, no problem with that at all. So it's, you know, the standard A-B structure. Uh, you got Jerry becoming essentially a mouthpiece for the rulers of Pluto, um, who are trying to keep the Plutonians essentially under their thumb. Uh, and and that's, like, the thing that struck me here is just how how much of a tool Jerry really is. And it's mm -hmm. all based on sort of his desire his his insecurity mm -hmm. i mean it, it's it's all based on his insecurity uh about his intelligence like with someone like rick around uh jerry very much feels inferior mm -hmm. at all times and i think by the end of this you know we found the one area in which jerry can 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 be considered to have succeeded which is right. being the father of morty but it it's so pathetic because you literally have to narrow the field of competition to zero mm. for Jerry to be the best at anything. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, that's essentially what Morty does at the end, uh, and I find that hilarious. But th there's just, like, <laughs> the the parallels to our society are so obvious, right? Like, the, the Plutonians mining the plutonium out of their planet and, and essentially destroying it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the sort of upper echelons of people in power in that society having this interest in keeping things uh, from changing, Keep, yeah. keeping, you know, us from believing that that's actually happening. And the citizenry's kind of invested interest to go along with status quo, because, you know, mm -hmm. if doing the right thing is going to cause pain and yeah. expense and trouble, uh, and you've got someone saying, you don't have to do anything. Actually, doing, the, doing nothing is the, the, the balanced, moderate position to take. Um, it's an easy... It's a, it's an easy it's an easy lie to believe, and I you know it's like we live in a pretty conservative area of the country, uh, pretty like it, it's not too hard to get into pretty bit rural areas of the country. And every time I go to like uh, a place like Hawking Hills, or I go down to Red River Gorge in Kentucky, and I get out in that nature, and I'm like. It's so easy to look how beautiful and lush and green and unpolluted and nice it is and be like, how the fuck can anyone think that this could be ruined? Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're just driving around and you're surrounded by all this natural splendor, it's like the idea that someone's telling you that in 50 years this could be, you know, and it's it's also it's like, you know, um, there's not a like a clear line between, oh, this is a catastrophe and this is just like, oh, well, maybe the summer is going to be two degrees centigrade hotter. Who gives a shit? It's hot. It's hot and muggy in Kentucky anyway. Like, I I understand how hard it is to intuitively believe when it's the same way. Like you look at people, you know, because we were around like, what was your opinion when they decided to rename Pluto as a planet? Did you have like a real strong? <laughs> no, I like. Maybe if I was from Pluto, I would. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I didn't care. But it's it's but it, a lot of people did like, and it was like almost like they didn't like to have to learn something new. Yeah. Like you know, my what is it? My very very excellent mother just served us nine pickles. Like oh, oh I got to learn a new mnemonic device. And was was this around at the time when like uh, scientists decided that like a fish and a whale were not the same thing? 
you, you have people like, well, they both swim in the water. Like, what the fuck? You know, like, okay, they, one's a mammal. <laughs> but, but I'm saying like one's before, not. like there was a time when there wasn't classifications like that. It's like okay. sea creatures and land creatures and maybe air creatures. And when, you know, the only I mean, I've got I've gone from global warming to just scientific categorization, like the categorization is only useful if it allows us as people to do something with it. And when yeah. we started looking at other solar systems, not solar systems, other stellar systems and actually seeing planets and stuff like, you know, scientists quickly decided to like, Hey, you know, maybe this, uh, solar centric model isn't going to work when we're talking about planets and we're talking about extrasolar planets and what, and we should get our shit straight right now. It's the anti-intellectual streak, I guess. But. Yeah, yeah, and Jerry is clearly portrayed as being incredibly stupid in this episode. I mean, yes. the, one of the funniest jokes, in my opinion, is when he gets off the phone with NASA, and he's like, I think I know what the A in NASA stands for. Right. Wow. Wow, right. Jerry, you are dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, like, the, he's going to, you know, imagine being on the other side of that phone call. Uh-huh. Like, you know, this guy's, like, taking up your time and wanting to argue with you. Presumably a planetary science scientist is, like what a planet is when it's like, you know, hey, Jerry, go to the Wikipedia article on Pluto, look at its orbits, mm-hmm. look at the other planet's orbits, play the Sesame Street song, one of these things, not like the other, one of these things isn't the same, and then there you go, that's why scientists made this conclusion. So, yeah. it it is... I don't know. I don't know if it's effective because, like, this stuff is so fucking entrenched and political, just like it is accurately played by mm-hmm. the Plutonians, but I do feel like that it's the best way if you want to try to shift people's minds, use humor and set it like on a fictitious thing so that you can like laugh and point at the stupidity of the Plutonians and kind of like have the, you know, decide for yourself whether that that reflects an attitude that you may or may not have. And I don't know. Yeah. And I think the the sort of connective tissue between these two stories in this episode is the way that these the characters are used and and sort of Jerry. You know, they both have moments of realization that they've been used by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry is kind of supporting this. <laughs> is it appropriate to call it a plutocracy? <laughs> <laughs> you sure? Yeah, uh, it would be. Up on Pluto. And then uh, Summer on the other side is sort of having this, this the, the, rationalizing her actions in the, the way that a lot of people do, I think. Like saying to themselves, somebody is going to do this job. And therefore, that gives me license to do it. Because, you know, if I don't, someone else will, and mm-hmm. they'll reap all the rewards. And yeah. I, I think, like, that's kind of the same thing that's going on with Jerry. What Summer says here about, like, yeah, McDonald's gives you diabetes, and uh, s- selling retail clothes uh, is, is supporting sweatshops. Like, mm-hmm. name one job a teenager can do that's not going to exploit something or somebody. And that's, I mean... It reminds me a couple of years ago, there was an outfit that tried to source an ethical smartphone. Okay, like, you yeah. know, they're going to go through yeah. all the supply chains. They're going to like, okay, we're going to assemble something that doesn't take, you know, doesn't doesn't exploit labor, doesn't uh, pollute the environment. And they essentially folded up shop because it's impossible. Yeah. Like, it's impossible to manufacture a cell phone at a price point that anybody would buy it uh, and have it be something that would even approach ethicalness. And mm-hmm. yet, you know, how many of us like carry smartphones? It's almost like it's one of these weird things where participation in modern society um, requires so many ethical compromises that any time that you want to stand up and say, wait a second, here's the line. 
we got to draw it right here. Five people can stand up and say, what the fuck? You're doing X, Y, Z, which mm-hmm. is arguably worse of a than." And then it's like nobody can do anything because we're it, – it's like uh, if, if a whole department of police is dirty – Mm-hmm. No cop can stand up and say you are doing something wrong because they're all ethically compromised. Yeah, but that's such a flimsy uh, logical argument. Like the, Jerry uses every trick in the playbook in this episode, which yep. I love seeing. You know, he he essentially at one point is completely out of his depth uh, when Morty brings up the article about you know the the, sci- the actual science of the matter. Yeah. And so he resorts to embarrassing his son mm-hmm. uh, and claiming victory. Right. Uh, that that is like he's you know he's just dodging the question. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's an effective tactic, but it is not getting to the heart of anything. Yeah. And and I feel like the the very same can be said about Summer's attitude of like somebody's going to do it, so why shouldn't it be me? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that's a rationalization, not a reason. Yeah, and it's like one of those things where. Um, I mean, that's the other thing that's tough about life is because when you get down to like brass tacks, like unless you believe in some kind of like overarching religion, there aren't any really real rules. Like there's not mm-hmm. like a, a right or wrong or scoreboard. It's 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 uh, and, and to get us out of some of these situations, I almost think it's going to take a radical reconception of like what it means to what what like your responsibilities to your fellow man and your family yeah. and all that. It's like because right now we've got a. A whole planet full of shirkers, a whole planet full of people saying, you know, what am I, my brother's keeper? And, uh, you know, when there's creeping up on 10 billion of us, like, kind of, yeah, we all are. The most frustrating and annoying parts of Rick are the parts that are incredibly selfish, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's how so many people in our world operate. Mm -hmm. And and that's how we get in situations like this. Whereas if you sort of redefine uh, morality and ethics around, like, the the concept of a society mm-hmm. i think then you start to truly understand how to sort of build a framework mm-hmm. in your life and uh, just so you're in case you're wondering and, and we're rick not, very much doesn't do any of that we're not or at least i'm not exempting myself from any of this moralizing oh, because no. like that's a it's, it's yeah i'm i got a cell phone right here and uh mm-hmm. um i eat meat i do a lot <laughs> um i buy cheap clothes uh i do a lot of things that um are not really ethically defensible um and yeah, like I guess, and that, that that's the thing is like, what do you do individually? The answer is not much. Like yeah. the the most valuable thing you can do is try to support change at like some kind of structural institutional level because that's how you actually fix things. Because else, you're right. You stop doing something, someone else will pick up and start doing it mm-hmm. for you. So it's it's kind of like pissing up a rope. <laughs> do we want to move on to the the fun devil part of the episode? Okay. There are so many things that I think are hilarious about this. I, I love the whole extended bit of Summer using up a whole monkey paw to do the most yeah, efficiently. Like, instead of, like, <laughs> I wish that rope broke, you know, she's like, I wish this – she can't move the de- – It's. I mean, you've seen the episode. It's yeah. It's fucking hilarious. And even – and what really sells it was the devil comes back to life. The first thing he says is, what a waste of a monkey's paw. <laughs> right. Um, Which is hilarious to me to think that as he's dying, yeah. as he's being choked out by this rope, that's what – he's just watching this unfold and going, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I wonder <sighs> – if something in the show's lore, because Summer should be cursed, right? Like with the monkey paw, with yeah. the monkey's paw, like like you can't use. We the don't know how that'll manifest, I suppose. Like but in, yeah. in the book, every single wish you make has like some kind of disastrous consequence. And of course, mm-hmm. you don't even know like what the 
what the, the the final use of the wish does in the book. Um, but I wonder if if you start like if we pay attention going forward, if there's signs that like Summer's got some kind of persistent curse. Yeah, uh, could be. We'll have to see. A couple episodes ago, or maybe the last episode, Summer gets a uh, spaceship. Mm-hmm. And we said in the the spoiler section that like there'll come a time where she has to bum a ride off somebody to get to her job or whatever. And here here it is. I guess we can bring everybody else into the fold. Uh, do we think that Summer has a spaceship? Did she lose it? Like did she lose it in an episode or two? Is she lazy? <laughs> she doesn't want to drive. So I've seen the commentary for that episode, and I don't think they care. Mm. Mm. But that, they, that would be my answer. They don't care until they do. You think too much. They don't. Yeah, they right. Won't, they until won't they care. decide. You know what? We could bring that back. Yeah, that'd be pretty sick to have her show up to her prom or whatever in a mm-hmm. in, in that hot pink uh, sports ship. Wouldn't be a sports car. It'd be a sports ship. Um, I like Rick. Like everything about this initial conversation uh, confrontation with the devil, where like Rick is just like straight to the point. So it's like, so what? Are you like the devil? And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the devil's uneasy kind of like laugh with him and they're kind of like maniacal laugh off. Yeah. I love when he like when Summer confronts him with the fact that like he so utterly beat the devil, the devil tried to kill himself. And Rick is just like, <laughs> are, are you kidding me? This is like the greatest. This uh, is like the most total victory I could possibly imagine. <laughs> and then when Summer's kind of like over it, he the oh God, the way he immediately loses interest in this literally burns the business to the ground, I think, is. Yeah. Uh, fucking amazing. And then that's maybe the first time we've seen Rick bored and seeking companionship. Like in every other episode, I would categorize Rick as desperately avoiding companionship in this episode. He's, he almost seems desperate for it in a moment. Yeah. And there's a lot of like quiet character moments where, as you said, he gets back, he burns down his, uh, you know, uh, curse purge plus comes home and he's sitting there with his butter robot Butter Robot's got no time for friendship, wasn't programmed for it. And then Morty comes home and he like, you can see him visibly perk up for like a half second. And he's like, oh, hey. And then he catches himself. He's like, oh, hey, what's mm-hmm. up? And tries to play it cool. But this is, you know, we're always looking for evidence of like, you know, whether he cares, if he really cares. And this yeah. is one of uh, one of those uh, exhibits because... I don't know why. It could be that, like, a person who's as powerful as Rick, like he says to the devil, it's like, I don't need anything. I don't need a shortcut to happiness. I make my own. Um, that life is essentially kind of boring um, and that he likes the chaos that his family injects into his life because it's exciting and it's interesting. It also uh, probably is nice to feel needed. Like, as much as he bitches about his, his family coming to him for every little thing, he probably mm-hmm. feels good at providing those solutions. And I don't know whether it's, like, feel good in, like, the way a normal human would experience or feel good in the kind of, like, uh, this allows me to, like, you know, be obviously superior and that flatters my intellect. But there's some emotional thing he gets from, especially oh, yeah. hanging out with Morty. No, I mean, look at uh, Rick Potion number 9 in that episode where, like, Rick definitely has a big fucking ego, right? Mm-hmm. And and he does things to stoke that ego, like telling Morty how fucking wrong he is about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it's turned around, you know, he has to eat a bunch of crow. But yeah, I mean, Rick Rick is an ego monster. Yeah, e- even if he would deny it up and down, if he w- if you come to him and say, "Oh, you're doing this for your ego," he would say, "Oh, no, I'm not." And he'd probably try and demean you, and he mm-hmm. probably, you know, d- dissemble, do all the things that Jerry's doing in this episode as a Pluto planet denier, right? Right. 
Um, I also love his the the comment he makes about uh, you know because Summer tries to pin him on you know why are you doing this is there any some grand he's like no this to me this is a bit like where Bugs Bunny fucks with the opera singer for twenty minutes like it's yeah. such a great because that's literally what it is uh, you know his granddaughter I, I mean there's a, so at the end like when Summer and him have a little bit of quiet time to spend together while Rick's trying to watch ball f- fondlers. She's like, you know, do you think this is all about me being jealous of you hanging out with Morty and you don't know how much you needed my approval? And they both agree. Ah, no, that's <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to understand that that's uh, a, a two. It's not that they're way off. It's like a one of those two. You hit you're hitting too close to the mark. Yeah. You um, just don't want to admit it. Yeah. And then uh, I guess the other thing we could talk about is there's a little bit of heartfelt like uh, Jerry and, and Morty at the end, you know, where Morty's uh-huh. like. Like you said, he collapses the competition to zero and it's like, you know, <laughs> no one wins. Yeah. And like, I don't understand why Jerry doesn't get that. It's like mm-hmm. you're trying to compete. It, it's like watching um, one of those movies where like uh, one of the like Will Ferrell's your dad and, and your stepdad is The Rock mm-hmm. and Will Ferrell. And this is a made up movie, but it, it, you, you can get where I'm going. It's maybe it's Mark Wahlberg or something. Um, he tries to com- out compete The Rock on like, you know, uh, flag football or some kind of eating competition or, you know, like stuff that he, he's so far obviously inferior to like, like trying to outsmart Rick as a, as Jerry. Yeah. But you know, it's like, you can still be like a really good dad and there's, there's only one of those I got. And then just when like, that's the other thing I love about the show is just when it threatens to get like that TGIF uh, full house saccharin, Morty comes in with like, and also you, sh- you should knock on the door, Dad. I- I'm 14 <laughs> right. years old. Uh, you just watched me fuck the shit out of a sex robot a couple episodes ago. <laughs> I got a computer in here. Uh, and I, you know what? I actually am really glad because like when I first saw this, like my son was like, you know, 10 years old, g- getting in that range. And I'm like, you know what? Probably need to start implementing knocking <laughs> and waiting for him to say yes before I come in because I don't want any part of that. Rick and Morty teaching dads life lessons. <laughs> yeah, it's like stuff. Like it should be obvious, but like uh-huh. it's 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 not. You know, you you start off in life, uh, you know, just barging in the room the because they're crying and they're shit themselves, and you're wiping their butt, and then some. And then at some point, they become a fucking human mm-hmm. that has rights and responsibilities to society, <laughs> and it's and it's, needs and desires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and need for privacy and uh-huh. inner thoughts, and uh, it, it's yeah. Yeah, it's I, I liked it. I liked the reminder. Thanks for the alarm clock, guys. Didn't want to hit snooze on that one. You know what I like? What's that? Pumped up Rick and Summer. God damn, it's so funny. The the thing is, is Rick could probably have engineered like battle suits or something that they could have gotten uh-huh. his kicked. But like, there's something really cool about the idea that yeah, they use steroids and whatnot. And maybe Rick has some little extra juice, but they put in the work. And when you got DMX, like you know, he's 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 great at anthems of hurting people. And I, I love like some of the details, like Summer when she's pumping iron, like you can see her like fucking getting hard, uh-huh. like like the set in her face change. And it's, it's it's I mean, it got me pumped just watching it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and then I love like after they just beat the shit out of the devil at his uh, I don't know whether that's supposed to be like uh, Ted Ted talk or yeah, what kind of. Or, or like, an Apple keynote speech yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Seattle, like, they, they set it at a particular town, they kick his ass, and then there's, like, this 30-second denouement of them sitting at a table drinking coffee underneath mm-hmm. the Space Needle congratulating themselves on how their plan went off. And it's like, 
that's uh, it's like a Sunday where the dude just didn't ever stop spraying whipped cream, you know. Um, uh, and and I don't know, like I feel like that should have felt like a come down after watching them beat the shit out of the devil, but it didn't. And then the stinger rolling right into just another scene of them essentially committing political violence against a bunch of assholes. Uh, physical violence against a bunch of assholes. Uh, yeah, okay, true. Politically motivated, maybe physical yeah, violence. Sure. Um, and uh, it's it's pretty funny. Um, of course, you know, the, some some types got, got really upset about that. And you could probably imagine the types that did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't me. I can <laughs> tell you that much. I laughed. I laughed long and hard. Why? Because sometimes what you really need is for someone else to pay a horrible price. <laughs> All right, Jim, I think it's time for us to plot to the future where we open, rip open a dimensional portal to BM77 to access behind-the-scenes details, trivia, and spoilers for future episodes. Uh, what do you got from peering through this portal? Uh, Nolan North played uh, the new... St- st- Fuck. The, the names Noopers? are so stupid. I can't even remember them. Uh-huh. Yeah, that Flippy, guy. I think Flippy Nips was the king. Maybe Flippy Nips is the king, and then yeah, the his what? son yeah. is is the, the the scientist worried about the plutonium. What's funny is like uh, Justin Roiland, or maybe it was Dan, said that like the reason these names are so stupid is because this is how Justin comes up with names mm-hmm. and goes. And a lot of times, like I'll like make her an especially stupid one to make fun of his name thing, and that's what makes it into the script. Of so. course, yeah. And, you know, it's like one of those also pose law deal where Dan made the because like I when I watch these episodes, I can't actually remember which ones are the parodies of Royland and which ones are the one or the yeah. ones that he came off the top of his dome. But uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Also, I didn't realize this until I listened to the commentary that one of the kind of special things is that this is Jer- Jerry and Morty having this sci fi interplanetary adventure that has nothing to do with Rick. In fact, Rick has no knowledge of this happening. True. But it feels like, and and the writers, I guess this was a big uh, kind of Rubicon for them because they had yeah. imagined that like one of the shows, like the rules in the show Bible was that uh, all the stuff outside of Rick's involvement would be pretty typical, you know, uh, family type sitcom drama mm-hmm. and they violate it. But their, their rationale was like, you know what? Some people in the real world get abducted by aliens. Okay, and it just I don't so know happens that's the best rationale, but yeah, yeah, I, I think it opens up a lot of storytelling possibilities, and I'm cool with it. Yeah, uh, because it, it also what I liked about it is the implication that Jerry's the first reactionary ignoramus to actually like call NASA and make a big stink and make this like uh, science yeah. fair project into some kind of political statement, and that's so like Jerry is almost. Um, Unique among humanity for how pigheaded and dummy. <laughs> yep. yep. Like, it's like, yeah, obviously, the, 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 the what, Pluto got deplanetized back in like 2006, 2005. Somewhere in there. So, yeah. like, it's been 10, 10 plus years in universe time, and the Plutonians been waiting. They've been yeah. waiting for They've an Earth been monitoring just, Earth, just looking Jerry, for the right person. It, it took 10 years the for that idiot, that, that useful <laughs> idiot to, to uh, step forward into the, the spotlight. Uh huh. Um, I kind of thought there was a really interesting point that was made about the use of the word retarded in this episode. It's funny because Dan said, like, this is one of those things. He had a, a really some funny analogies. He's like, when I decided to use the word in the script, I treated it like, and I've not seen a lot of Friday the 13th, but he said there's like a Friday the 13th where, like, the military shows up to, like, 
to to detain Jason Voorhees. And they've got spotlights on him and there's like, you know, military vehicles and a ring of dudes with shotguns and machine guns around. It's like, that's how he's like, I, 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 I want to treat that word like that. This, the, and he also was kind of like, this is kind of curious of like, not what we can get away with, but like, you know, what, what, how people, how do people feel about this word? And he kind of like, this is a really efficient 20 second back and forth that yep. kind of, um, does a 360 degree evaluation of, of, of how this, uh, you know, politically correct uh, attitude towards using the word is. And he said the fact that no one, the fact that no one had a problem with it, like mm-hmm. in, in, you know, internet culture, uh, it wouldn't take much to have a couple hundred Twitter threads, you know, canceling Rick and Morty. But he said it kind of went to prove the point with all the activism that this isn't like, um, like, like Morty asserted, this isn't a bunch of people that are just doing this for for shits and grin for giggles. They're actually like weed whacking the bad and lazy and damaging use of the words while still leaving room to, you know, kind of make a joke about the joke. Mm-hmm. You know, like I feel like this is the kind of joke that would change people's minds on it. You know, like Rick's yeah, like, I, it, it is a fairly comprehensive look at the arguments for and against using that word mm-hmm. um, and the people who are, you know, right and wrong is maybe not the right uh, phrase, but I, I think like, the the idea that some people just want to get offended to be offended um, about these things is certainly true in some cases. But the thing that I like about you know the, there not being a huge reaction to this on the show mm-hmm. is that, like you said, it does show that most people are not like that. Mm-hmm. Most people are willing to understand context, willing right. to uh, let a discussion be had about these things, yeah. as opposed to just shutting it down simply because a word is used. Mm-hmm. It opens the doors to actually figuring out what's right and wrong about this stuff as opposed to just yeah. banning it. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I'm a I'm a Gen Xer, and I feel like that we are kind of at the forefront of that riding that wave of, like, I grew up using a lot of insensitive yeah. terms uh-huh. across all kinds of different spectrums because, um, not because I had any personal animus, but it's just like, you know, it's no. a funny or, you know, you just grow up and, like, they examine, like, oh... If I say that everything that's kind of like bad or dumb mm-hmm. is gay, or if I say stuff that I just don't personally like is retarded, then am I like 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 you're usually you're using a label that describes people, yeah, and turning it into a derogative. And these are also people that have numerous societal and you know uh, mental disadvantages that they're already battling with. So like Jesus, like that's that's like you know when you, when when you actually examine it, it's about like do you want to be a bully? And yep. do you want to have like uh, your careless use of words, um, you know, hurt people? Um, but also like pushing back about like, you know, you can still like retard is a perfectly fine word to use. And you're talking about engine timing mm-hmm. and actual developmental, like clinical medical things. And that, I think their reactions or things like that. Yeah. And there are certainly pe- those people that like if you use a word in even a proper context will be like, oh, right. and this pushes back into that. So I thought it was uh, just about perfect. Also, the shocking, that shocking, but kind of funny uh, anecdote that the. Uh, the story that Jerry tells about Morty is actually a Dan story about him throwing he sh- oh. shit, shit in his pants as a kid and then throwing him out the window to kind of hide it. You know, listening to these commentaries, I can never tell what's a bit. <laughs> these guys are so good at running with bits yeah. and, and faking sincerity and honesty yeah. that I'm not actually sure if that's real. But let's go with it. Yeah. Well, you know, I sometimes I wonder that myself because, like, I do that a little bit where, like, I 
tell 90% of the truth about mm. like when I talk about my personal life, but I like to juice it up a little bit for a couple purposes. Kind of, I kind of want like everyone to kind of like give myself enough room to like, uh, well, Aaron says so much outrageous things that like you can if something is personally shocking, you can maybe dismiss it as like me right. amping it up. But also like, you know, making because people that's relatable. Like, I, I don't know if you didn't shit your pants, your, your pants as a, as a I, child. I cannot remember shitting my pants, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> I can remember a time where my dad just refused to stop. Uh, oh, man, so your dad on, shit on, your pants on, on yeah yeah my dad did shit thank you thank you <laughs> it's his fault years of therapy i could just got cut through the chase by by jim giving me a hug and saying it was your dad shit in your pants <laughs> take it back man no it's your dad shit your pants aaron uh but uh, yeah it's like you know it's pretty fucking relatable so good yeah. good on you dan for either telling a fictitious story that made me feel better or 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 emotionally relating to something that i've i've gone through and it was traumatic they were talking about you know the the integral nature of music in these scenes, um, and mm. you know when a cue is too much and when it's not enough. And I, I I mean I agree with Dan. I think music is integral to the storytelling. I think it informs a lot of emotion in the drama, uh, a lot of emotion, uh, a lot of the comedy as well can be informed by the music. Uh, so it was it was nice to hear them, you know, as storytellers talking about that. Mm-hmm. But it's also like when they uh, said it's it also works best when it's almost like you don't notice it. And it's kind of like yeah. editing. There's some editing that's flashy and it draw and it. And, but like, you know, they, good editing is stuff that like serves a story and doesn't draw, draw unnecessary attention to itself. Sure. Unless it's supposed to. And mm-hmm. music's the same way. And, uh, I guess I would say that maybe, and by that metric, the, the score on Rick and Morty is unusually good because, um, when they said that, I went back and watched the next episode, and I was like paying attention to music cues. And there's like a way more than you would think if you, you know, someone put a gun to your head and said, you know, name all the ones. But mm-hmm. um, and then they also like sometimes go big splashy pop pop music, and yep. uh, it's really effective. Pickle Me This is distributed by Bald Move in association with Starburns Audio. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch from Starburns and myself, Manayron, from Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack, available from Sub Pop Records. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media at Bald Move. See you next time.